passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to On the Bench. I am Brendan Sinone, joined by Christopher Nee as we go back to our traditional game preview format. Why would we want to continue something that was working last week that led to a win, Chris, right? Yeah, yeah. Roulette with quarterbacks, roulette with how we do the show. It's how we live. I am wearing a tank top still. Uh, you can't see it. You're just going to take my word for it. Chris, can you confirm I am wearing a tank top? I, I'm not looking at you. In fact, I do it much better on the show when I don't look. Okay, yeah, you're wearing a tank top. I checked. Oh, do you not? You don't have the video up when, when it's going? Well, um, the video is in Chrome. I'm over there on my safari just hanging out, looking at different things as we're talking. So I don't actually sit here and stare intently at you guys. It actually, Except for that when explain- I'm doing the whole, you know, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> do that once in a while. <laughs> don't challenge Travis Hunter to decommit. Yeah. Like yeah. on Monday. Yeah, but it was clearly tongue-in-cheek and joking. So if people aren't smart enough to comprehend that, I don't know what to tell you. That explains why, Chris, you don't get the visual cues like when I'm leaning into the mic or leaning away from the mic or something like that, right? Correct. It's all making, it's all making I'm, sense. I'm glad man. three or so years into this process, you're starting <laughs> to figure me out. <laughs> Before we get into FSU at UNC and previewing some of the aspects of that game we're interested in, uh, we haven't really gotten into it since our, our Monday podcast because it wasn't yet announced yet. Dennis Briggs out for the season. A pretty big blow for FSU's defense. He's one of the more productive interior pass rushers per PFF. This past year, someone who, who well, Chris, I'll let you break down Dennis's game because I know you're you're at the head of the Dennis Briggs fan club and, and kind of explain, I guess, what, what happened with the injury and why we won't see him the rest of the year. Yeah, he basically got chop block slash cut block against Louisville, and that ended up with him in a boot, and then he is shut down for the year. Uh, it really stinks. He's been one of FSU's most effective guys on the field. He's been one of their best pass rushers when he's had those reps. Uh, he definitely complimented Robert Cooper and Fabian Lovett very well and gave FSU a really nice three-man rotation for the two defensive tackle spots. And now suddenly they're going to have to deal with basically leaning on guys like Jarrett Jackson, uh, Malcolm – or I'm sorry, not Malcolm. Yeah, yeah Malcolm, Malcolm Ray. Ray. Yeah, it. Malcolm Ray and Joshua Farmer. I was I was taking Malcolm Ray and Joshua Farmer and slapping them together like one. Um, Malcolm Ray played very well two weeks ago, unavailable this past week. Joshua Farmer is still very green, but he's a guy they certainly seem to like. Him and Odell have a lot of conversations, some good, some bad, during practices. But I think it's a good sign that you see that much attention to detail being put upon a player of his sort who is a true freshman. Um, but, yeah, losing Briggs is a big old blow for them because it, it's pretty steep fall off now from that right. having a top three rotation to basically having a top two and then very much having to lean on the bench and 
you know, Jackson's had trouble staying healthy. Ray, as I mentioned, was unavailable last week. So it's not even like their depth at that position has been super reliable in the sense of availability. That was one of the concerns we had entering year was the depth at defensive tackle outside of those top three in the rotation. So you, you take away, you know, one third of that uh, potentially problematic. I will say Malcolm Ray did play very well in the second half against Louisville. Uh, he did not play his past week against Syracuse, is back in the mix this week, and has done some nice things in practice. And is really, I mean, yeah, Jared Jackson has kind of already been that that fourth guy in the rotation. His usage will go up a little bit more, but kind of Malcolm Ray is that guy who needs to elevate his play for FSU's defense to continue to be pretty stout against stopping the run, uh, which has been the strength for this this unit uh, so far this season. Yeah, uh, Mike Norvell actually went out of his way today to, again, compliment Malcolm Ray. He's been asked both days about replacing Briggs. But today's question wasn't spe- specifically pertaining to Ray. He went out of his way to, again, compliment him, said he did some really, really good things two weeks ago and that they've liked what he's done in practice when he's been available here. And he has practiced consistently this week, so he should be fully available. He, he flashed a few times during actually the last two practices. I mean, I, I had him in practice notes and observations the last two days for a reason because he's doing some nice things as an interior pass rusher and, get, and getting pressure. Uh, speaking of, of post-interview or post-practice interviews, Christopher. Uh, do, do you think you, you got the, the head man a little irritated today? I think he just couldn't hear you is what happened, but I'm curious to get, get your thoughts based on after I saw. I was not, just for context real quick, so Mike Norvell wasn't super thrilled with some of the details and, and focus at times during today's practice. He liked the intensity. It was a chippy practice, but said as much after afterwards at practice that there were some frustrating you know, lapses and, and something they have to do to get better. So then, Chris, I will throw it to you uh what did you ask him and, and how did you perceive that i followed up basically asking is it disappointing that you're essentially halfway into the season at this point because fsu is about to play their sixth game and that you're still encountering these issues that they're still arising and i, I think i said often initially and then he kind of leaned in i said at times or sometimes or i soften the often i didn't mean often i kind of misspoke with saying that but they do come up here and there and it has been something that's happened throughout preparation for different weeks. I don't think he was irritated by the question. I think he was irritated by the performance of the practice. You know, they're pushing to be a better football team, a more consistent bunch. And today was an example of that. So he he brought it up in his opening statement. So he was clearly not happy with it. I was just following up with the basic, you know, here you are, what, 70 or so days into basically your season, including the preseason. And you're still dealing with some of the same arising issues. You know, two steps forward, one step back constantly with this football team. I was basically just kind of seeing what he would respond with with that. I wanted to follow it up. I don't think questions are followed up enough, truthfully, in those Mm -hmm. settings. Um, Zoom certainly doesn't allow for questions to be very effectively followed up, so luckily it wasn't a Zoom setting. I just wanted to get a little bit more comment from him on it, so that's all it was. But no, I don't don't think Mike Norvell gives a damn about the questions I ask him or anybody else. He's worried about his football team, and that's where his focus lies, and, you know, He's going to discuss it as he's going to discuss it. I just wanted to get additional comment. The uh, the, the first comment on the on the story on Noel Forty Four Seven was someone thinking that he got a little irritated with the first question. So that's why I just wanted to clarify because because yeah. I went and I watched the video app and I was like, no, he just it was raining underneath the state or uh, above the boring. baseball stadium. That, yeah, yeah. At that point, the skies were open. Uh, you were getting ready to build an arc because you didn't know how you were getting out of the football stadium. I mean, it. it yeah, it's a setup we have. People are like, why are you set up like that? Why, you know, I talked to somebody about using the tradition room at baseball. 
if we're in a room, we have to be masked right now with how FSC is operating things, and they don't really want to have that setting. So that's why we try to do everything outdoors. The weather obviously doesn't allow us to be on the field like normal, so we're in the underhang of the baseball stadium. But because that rain's coming down so heavy and pouring off the roof of the baseball stadium, you've got a lot of noise in the background, a lot going on. So it's not particularly uh, beneficial for anyone. Darius Washington constantly had to lean in. We were basically yelling at him to ask questions. <laughs> Darius is a that, soft speaker. That's just how it went. Yeah, so. uh, but just I just wanted that out there for context because when Norvell leads in and, and asks, says what to you, I don't think it was a what like a challenge, but some people perceive what? it. What it was, it was not what. Yeah. Okay. Hey, if he wants to punch me at some point during a press conference, I'm Whoa. good with it. Like, no, I, I, I get it. So. No, I'm just saying. I, I find press conferences to be sort of nauseating, and I'm on the side asking questions, so I can only imagine being the person that has to answer them. Yeah, he's got a bunch of schmucks like us asking. Uh, when he knows like a hundred times more about football than us and, and asking questions and, and then sometimes to the fans too, who, yeah, it takes a lot of restraint sometimes. So he's, everything is fine. I just want to clarify. So I guess it was something that was on the message board and it's been clarified. It was nothing big. And if he was to punch someone, Chris, uh, I think you'd be lower down on the list of people who'd be getting punched. You're welcome. Cool. Yep. All right. So FSU, North Carolina, FSU opened, as an 18-point underdog for the road game in Chapel Hill. When was the last time you were in Chapel Hill, Chris? Oh, uh, it's been a, been a minute. Uh, last time so- FSU was there was 09. I don't believe I was at that 09 game. I know I was at the Greg Jones-Dexter Reed game. That's a heck of a long time ago. I'm trying to think if there's been one in between. I've been to Chapel Hill for other sports in between, but not Yeah, football. that's fine. Well, yeah, no, for just any time in Chapel Hill. Like, when was the last time you set foot in Chapel uh, Hill? Uh, six, seven years ago for a basketball game. All right, so pretty, pretty town. Get to go return there. Hopefully, be some nice fall crisp weather for you, Christopher. It's supposed on to be unfortunately during the game. What like seventy percent chance of rain is what they're calling for right now. Yeah, I think Jerry Cutts asked about that today. I think he cited seventy percent in the forecast. So, yeah. All right, so let's let's muck it up and get it nice and, and muddy and, and let's play a dirty game. I think that would play into FSU's hands as an underdog. So let, let's focus on first the Sam Howell revenge tour. FSU beat UNC and Sam Howell last season. It was a really fun game. Seminoles built a big lead and, and kind of got Sam, Sam Howell frazzled early on. Uh, UNC ends up catching fire in the second half. A uh, penalty by Dante Lucas no longer on the roster kind of opened up the door for for the comeback instead of FSU being able to kind of just put its foot on UNC's neck, which kind of reminiscent of this past week against Syracuse, you know, FSU had chances to close the door, couldn't do it. Can they learn? Can they be in that position moving forward? We'll see. But as it applies to UNC, uh, you know, Sam Howe was not dynamic all of last year's game, but had his moments where he starts getting into rhythm and you can see what he could do. He's been extremely efficient so far this year, Chris, We'll get into the entire UNC offense, but specifically Sam Howe. I know former FSU commitment. That's that's a thing people want to talk about. Uh, what has he done well this year, and, and do you think he's better than he he was a year ago, or is he taking a step back? Yeah, I think he's definitely better, especially when you consider that I think his supporting cast is a little less than it was a season ago. They're not as good in the running back room. Ty Chandler's a talented back, but they had a very good one-two dynamic in that room last year. Howe's actually their second leading rusher behind Chandler. And then the receiving room, Josh Downs is awesome, arguably the best receiver in the ACC so far and one of the better ones in the country. But that room is not as deep and talented as it necessarily was a season ago. 
Now, that all being said, they do have threats in that room in addition to downs. Sorry, I was muted. So we'll get into Josh Downs in, in a in a minute. Uh, but I do want to talk holistically about UNC's passing game. Um, and I got you got some of the stats and numbers in for you, Chris. Real quick, uh, some adjusted, uh, nerdy metrics here that are going to paint a picture of what UNC does. They are 14th nationally in average air yards uh, per mm-hmm. attempt, so it's 11.2. So they push the ball deep. Uh, yeah. Thirty. 31 passes of 20 yards this season, 20 or more yards this season, 17th nationally. But here's the caveat. This is it's interesting. Their completion percentage on these long passing plays, 106 nationally, uh, 25.8% completion percentage. Sam Howe sacked 13.6% of his dropbacks, 121st nationally. So I say all those numbers, Christopher, I, and watching you and see it, it matches with what they do. It tracks with it. They like to just, go deep a ton and let Sam Howell uncork the ball. And and that will be interesting given what FSU secondary has been vulnerable with this, this season, which has given up deep plays. Yeah. They've averaged it's 15.96 yards per completion on the season. So that kind of Ooh. speaks to it. And vast majority of their passing game is obviously how that 15.96 ranks ninth best in the nation. Uh, they're 15th in the nation, averaging 309.6 passing yards per game. They have 1,548 yards through the year in five games while throwing 15 passing touchdowns compared to just four interceptions. How specifically, 95 of 153 for 62%, 1,494 passing yards, 11th in the nation, 14 passing touchdowns, 7th in the nation, and four interceptions. He has 15.73 yards per completion. Individually speaking, that ranks 7th in the nation. 9.76 yards per attempt is 7th in the nation. He's averaging just shy of 300 passing per game, 298.8. As I mentioned, he's a number two rusher with them. He has about 290 on the ground this year, three rushing touchdowns. He's averaging 356.2 offensive yards per game. He's responsible for 104 points on the season. That ranks fourth in the nation. He's especially good at home this season. They're 3-0 at home. They've been a very Jekyll and Hyde team, much better at home overall. Howell has 11 touchdowns at home, one pick averaging 326.7 per game through the year while completing almost 65% of his passes at home. Ooh, yeah, he he's a uh, when he's on, when he's good, like we saw last year, he's really really good. Uh, but but we're seeing this season especially like with without some of those weapons he he had last year on offense, especially in, in the run game, um, you can get him kind of flustered or you can get him to be inefficient or take Big. I mean, he doesn't turn the ball over. He only has four interceptions uh, to 14 touchdowns this season. Uh, but you can get him to take sacks. You can get him to to go on streaks where he's not completing the ball a ton. Um, part of that, they're just kind of doing this boomer bust offense, um, very spread oriented. But but the guy kind of makes it work for them when they are clicking, they are successful. You mentioned him earlier, Chris, wide receiver Josh Downs. He has 40 catches, 620 receiving yards this season. I think that's fourth nationally. It's top top 10 for sure. And they yeah, also it's, have six it's fourth nationally in receiving yards. So he's six he's receiving special. touchdowns, six receiving touchdowns is sixth in the nation, eight receptions per game ranks seventh in the nation. He has 40 on the season. He's also an excellent punt return guy for them. He has 712 all purpose yards on the season, which I think is also around about seventh in the country this year. Um, or I'm sorry, his 142.4 all purpose yards per game is 13th in the country. Okay. So he, he's a good one. In addition to him at receiver, you know, they haven't really had a second guy's emerge as a consistent threat, but they do have guys that are hitting big plays. Emory Simmons, wide receiver, 10 for 236, so 23.6 per. 
Ooh. that it leads the ACC and ranks fourth in the nation per reception. He has one touchdown. Uh, Morales, the tight end for them. He's actually a local kid. He's one of the two tight ends they lean on. He's second on the team with 15 receptions. He only has 125 yards in those three, those receptions, but he does have three touchdowns over 15 receptions. Mm-hmm. Another receiver to know, familiar name, Antoine Green, same high school as Jay Sean Corbin, former FSU target. Uh, he's averaging 22.8 per catch. He doesn't qualify for the national stat, the national stats for average per catch because he only has nine receptions so far for 205 and a touchdown. I think the uh, minimal mark is 10 receptions, so he's one off from being part of that. But, yeah, it kind of speaks to they're explosive as hell. Uh, they're going to push it down the field. They're going to be aggressive. They work really hard to create one-on-ones, and they do a lot of that through the rushing attack of Ty Chandler. They run a lot of RPO, very primarily based in RPO. Now, you know, as we said, they're three and two. The two losses are VTech in that opener. Uh, Sam Howell was bothered all game, had a couple really bad attempts, including interception, really hurt him. Georgia Tech game, I didn't see as much as, but they lost that one in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz. In those two games, they scored, I believe, at seven and 22 points in those two, and the other ones are closer to 60 per game. So, yeah, they're kind of boom or bust to a degree, but at home, they've traditionally, over the last two years and during Howell's career, they're been very, very good at home and very, very good offensively at home. So, yeah, and the offense, and you said it does have Jekyll and Hyde tendencies. And I, I don't know if it's as simple as home and away splits or uh, whether they're able to protect Sam Howell. The offensive line has taken a step back. Uh, Robert Cooper pointed out yeah. kind of subtly the other day that, that they do rotate centers, which I'm sure the, the way Robert Cooper is playing right now and seeing that they're not having stability on the interior off the offensive line, I'm sure he's licking his chops. Because if you're going to beat UNC, if you're going to pull off the upset, expect them to hit big plays. But what you have to do is consistently control the line of scrimmage, create pressure, make Sam Howell uncomfortable, like you said. That that seems to be the the key to, to slowing that offense down a little bit. Yeah, it's funny. They're such an air-based offense, but yet everything is set up by the run for them. So mm-hmm. if you can own the line of scrimmage, you can have some effectiveness. And if you own the line of scrimmage, take away the run, you can kind of tee off. They've had some issues with that. I, um, you know, the Virginia Tech game, for example, their pass blocking PFF grade was 69.8. doesn't seem that bad. But yet the Virginia game, which they won, it was 55.5. But consistently on the year, they're hanging around those mid-60s for pass blocking. They've also, their run blocking has been very, uh, it's been great in instances. Virginia and Duke, they're in the mid-70s for both of those games for the run blocking. But they're high 50s for the other three games. So, Little Jack would hide very weird. Our Inside Carolina site, which is a fantastic UNC site that's on our network, they did a story on the center conundrum. It's pretty interesting. Uh, you know, I didn't really know about that until Coop mentioned it yesterday. Then I was reading up on it while I was doing the 247. It's just surprising that a team that has quite a few veteran offensive linemen back, guys who have experience, that they've had kind of the issues they have up front. Um, it's just, it's not what you expect of them. It's not who they've been this year, tradition, or I'm sorry, who they've been in the last couple of years, traditionally, uh, they're averaging 4.4 sacks per game allowed. That's 127th in the nation, 14th among ACC squads. Obviously, tackles for loss is also going to be a bit higher because of that. 7.6 per game allowed. That ranks 116th in the nation, 13th in the ACC. Now, they run a ton of plays, and they do drop back, on average, probably about 40-plus times a game. So there's the opportunities. But VTech kind of showed you can do that to them. I think they've shored a little bit of it up. They were much better against Duke, and Duke is pretty woeful this year. But it's going to be interesting. It's going to be if FSU is going to have a chance of pulling off this upset from a defensive standpoint, it's going to be winning at the line of scrimmage, taking away the run, 
and pressuring Howell. And it's going to be something that I think we're going to have a pretty good feel for, especially if it's a slop fest pretty early on in that game, if FSC is going to have success there or if North Carolina plays as a better version of their own, their own selves up front. I think the big difference between last year and this year, Chris, is Ty Chandler is, is a solid running back, but he's not Javante. I was a Javante Williams and then um, uh, Michael Carter. Those two, that combination, yeah. that one-two punch was was the best one-two punch in the country. Saw the, the NFL draft play out, and uh, those two guys just made a lot of things happen. And just it's not yeah. a knock on Ty Chandler, right? It's just he's just not quite to that level. Yeah, he's getting 14.8 carries per game, has 423 on the season on the ground and four rushing touchdowns. He's averaging 84.6 per game rushing, which is six in the ACC. So it's very respectable. But I think it's more so that they don't have that one-two punch, that they they don't have the when Chandler needs a blow or when they just need to mix it up or give you a different look. They don't have that next guy up. The next guy up for him in the rushing attack is Howell. Yeah. So uh, one other thing to know with Chandler, he is a capable receiver. He has five receptions for a buck 23 and a touchdown. I believe about half of that yardage came on the touchdown. So just to give yeah. you an idea. Yeah, he's high up in the in the uh, yards per reception category too. Uh, one thing going into his numbers real quick is that he has so he has the 423 rushing yards, like Chris said, 198 of them came against Virginia. Everything else, he's been pretty bottled up. I think 66 yards uh, is the next highest game he's had. And that was in the opener against Virginia Tech. So yeah, 198 in one game against yeah. Virginia. The the other 225 in the rest. Two yep, yeah, four games, 225. So. Uh, can't let him get going too, and I think that'll just be indicative of even though UNC wants to air the ball out. If you're your FSU, especially coming off this past week, where a dual threat quarterback. That's one other thing, Chris. Sam Hell is running the ball a lot more than he did last year. Again, I think that's because, like you said, they don't have that second back to complement Ty Chandler. Uh, Sam Hell has to do a lot more, whether it's scrambling or designed runs, taking off and going. He has some of that to his game. Like he, he can scramble some. He's not the most fleet of foot guy, but he has 200 yards rushing so far this year. I think he only had like 150 last year. So that's something you, again. You think we might F- see a naked bootleg? That's what I was going to say. FSU coming off what, what Syracuse was able to do with a pretty vanilla uh, plan. Uh, uh, this my, week in practice, David... Go ahead. I was going to say the first time I see a naked bootleg in the game, I'm just going to take the binoculars and immediately look at Adam Fuller to see the reaction. <laughs> he clearly does not like the word naked bootleg after Monday. He made that abundantly clear. They've worked very hard this week on or diligently on, on passing off wide receivers. That's been a major point of emphasis more. So it's not that they don't ever go over it. They obviously do, but you know, they are spending time, of individual periods on it. So we'll see if that's, that's better this week for it. It's going to have to be uh, the, the pattern yeah. matching and the zone concepts were so mind boggling and confusing and the communication issues popped up and something Mike Norvell said today is that we can't have these communication issues. He didn't say it specifically about the defense, but there were moments where the, the defense, you know, wasn't passing things off. Uh, it's just, you got to be better at it. You, you can't, you can't allow a team like Syracuse with the lack of weapons it has uh, or doesn't have, I guess, to find that much space that consistently. It's just, it's inexcusable. It has to be better. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested on the flip side of ball FSU against their defense. Um, you know, they've allowed in a loss, they allowed 45 to Georgia tech, 17 to Virginia tech. And in the win against Virginia, they allowed 39. Now I think Virginia's offense is pretty dang good, especially Brennan Thompson at the quarterback position, you can make a lot happen. But it shows they're susceptible to giving up points. They're not exactly a killer bunch. They also allow a lot of one-on-ones with wide receivers. Now the issue for FSU is that they haven't consistently won one-on-ones. So it's kind of interesting that UNC, as most teams have done, 
is going to give them that look, but that's sort of what UNC does by nature. They like giving that look. Um, up front, Miles Murphy leads them with six and a half tackles for loss, three sacks on the season. He's beside Ray Bohasek, I think is how you pronounce it, the nose tackle that's been there for a few years, who I think actually missed the game last year, if I recall correctly. Very talented, two guys in the middle for them. Toman Fox is their best player off the edge. He's been there forever. Uh, he's got 40 career starts, 23 career sacks, 35 career tackles for loss. He's a guy to know. He hasn't had exactly a killer year for him so far, but he's certainly a guy that has done it plenty of times. Speaking of the secondary, everybody loves Tony Grimes. He's a sophomore there, was a very highly regarded recruit. He's basically been a starter since the moment he walked on campus. He's having a respectable year. He leads the team with four pass breakups. Um, but secondary includes like Kyler McMichaels, one of say or one of the corners. He's another veteran. Trey Morrison at free safety. Cameron Kelly, Cam Kelly at strong safety is a pretty talented bunch. They really like what they have back there. But all this being said, that defense is allowing 370 yards per game, 69th in the nation, 225.8 through the year, 70th in the nation, 143.4 rushing allowed per game is 71st in the nation. They are good on third down defense, limiting opponents to 34.3%. That's 40th in the nation. Opponents are averaging 25 points per game against them. And the three, the two losses, or I'm sorry, one of the losses, two of the wins, they've allowed quite a few points. And then VTech obviously scored 17 in what was a pretty sloppy affair in the season opener between the two. They don't do a particularly good job of pressuring the passer, 11 sacks through five games. That's 2.2 sacks per game. Five of those 11 came in their victory over Duke last weekend, so they had six through four games, 1.5 per game through the first four games. Last week, of those five sacks, all five were recorded by different players. They have 30 tackles for loss through five games. That's six per game. Four interceptions as a defense with two of those coming by sophomore nickelback Jacorius Conley. Five forced fumbles, four fumble recoveries, seven takeaways through five games. Overall turnover margin for the team is flat zero. So looking at their defense, a few things I want to get into with you, Chris, as you mentioned, there's not a ton. I'm oh, sorry. I'm having a hard time here. While you were talking, I ate a chili roasted pistachio, and it's coming back on me a little bit. Um, I wanted to get into the way they attack. It's interesting because it's very feast or famine, much like their offense. They don't get a ton of sacks, like you said, but they send a ton of pressure. So I, don't, I think a lot of it's just trying to get rid of the ball quickly. Uh, they have a chance to really confuse FSU's offensive lines, what they want to do, run a ton of stunts, blitzes from different spots. And with an offensive line that hasn't had a ton of continuity, man, I, that's a part of the game that that concerns me a little bit is whether you can block up UNC's pass rush. It's not a great pass rush, yeah. like I said, but they're going to be very, very exotic in the blitzes and, and be aggressive. Yeah. And FSU is still very banged up up there. You know, there's been guys throughout this week who haven't practiced near as much as you would like them to that you're going to lean upon as starters. Marie Smith, who worked himself last week back is still, he's still going through it. He's not a guy that looks like he's anywhere close to hundred percent. So yeah, it's certainly an issue for FSU. Another thing I'd mentioned about UNC's defense when they tackle well, they tend to play really well. When they tackle poorly, they lose. Their two worst tackling grades on the season, 46.0, was against Georgia Tech. They lost that game in 51.1, according to PFF, against Virginia Tech. Again, they lost that game. Two of the other three games, they're 70-plus. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So they're a little – again, it's a very streaky team, very Jekyll and Hyde all across the board that we're seeing. Uh Georgia Tech had success running on them, ran all over them. It's really the only bad game that that UNC had in, in terms of consistently stopping the run. Yeah. Allowed 261 yards on the ground and and 
Obviously, Georgia Tech has a really good running back in Jamar Gibbs. They have a mobile quarterback in Jeff Sims. Uh, see what I'm putting down there, Chris? It might be a formula that you want to kind of follow if, if you're trying to to move the ball and, and score against them. Yeah. J-Traff. J-Traff. J-Traff 5. Yeah. We'll see how healthy he is. I know he said he was really healthy after the game, but no, nah, he's not. He's not been healthy all year. It's been tough for anybody in that quarterback room to put together two consecutive weeks of really being able to get after and get all the practice time you would hope they have. Yeah. Yeah, we feel a lot better, uh, I guess, on, on Saturday if we see Jordan Travis running around and jumping like we did before as a pleasant surprise before last uh, last Saturday's game when all of a sudden he's he's trying to do fake dunks through the – the goalposts. I was like, oh, that, yeah. that looks interesting. Almost like he's like showing he off on us. Yeah, you guys it was just thought crazy. I'd be booted today. Look at me. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see if he's able. I mean, that guy just takes so many shots and just perpetually dealing with different types of injuries. It's tough, but the way he plays, like it's just clear he gives FSU its best chance of, of being competent on offense. Uh, you're going to need the run game, right? Like that's going to – if you're going to pull out the upset, we're looking at ingredients to an upset for FSU – Running the football, Jay Sean Corbin, Trey Sean Ward. If you can get either Lawrence Philly or DJ Williams in that mix as well, you got to find ways to run the ball. Uh, hopefully, the offensive line, like you said, Chris Maurice Smith, uh, still working his way back from the injury, was at least able to go last week. Hopefully, that's the case again this week. I will say, I think Robert Scott's moving in the good direction physically. I mean, a few weeks ago at practice, he was struggling to to move correctly, right? Like he was, he was struggling to, to stay up very, and, and not fall down. On those angles a couple weeks yeah. Ago. Yeah. And, and he still, he gritted out. He played the last two weeks was nowhere near as vulnerable this past week as he was two weeks ago, but still did not look like his, his 2020 form as a true freshman. Uh, I thought this week of practice was by far the most confident he looked in terms of, of polling of, of not falling doubt or you're tripping over himself of being a little bit more physical and assertive as well and willing to kind of get into it which is a sign of confidence so that'd be big between him and Darius Washington need those two guys to be good to to you know seal in seal in some some gaps and uh, create space outside and for whoever you're running the ball with Jay Sean Trey Sean all the Sean's so yeah uh that's that's kind of the overview of UNC and what we got going on there. I, do you want to do a prediction yeah. at this point, Chris? All right, let's let's well, go for it. Real quick, real quick before we hop there, we'll we'll do the Bob Ferrante special teams moment. Uh, John okay. and Kim, John and Kim, kickoff specialist for them. Thirty of thirty-three kickoffs this season have gone for touchback. One of the other three went out of bounds, so we're not going to have to worry about a kickoff return game much this week. I don't think. I don't expect that. Uh, Grayson Atkins, their graduate place kickers, four of seven on the season. He's 0 for 2 from beyond 50. His longest converted attempt on the season is 36 yards. Uh, junior punter Ben Kiernan, 44.8 per punt. Three of his 16 have gone for 50 or more. Longest is 53. But they do only rank 76 in net punting with 38.94. And as I mentioned earlier, Josh Downs is a pretty solid punt returner for him, averaging, I believe, it's 10.2 per return, which is 43rd in the nation. They're much better in that department than on kick returns, where they rank 124th in the nation. So just that to keep in mind. As for prediction, no uh, wait, I'll go first I got a prediction. I got a prediction. FSU's gonna FSU's gonna house a touchdown on a kickoff return this week. I'm calling it now. Well, they talk about special teams and then not being aggressive. No, no. On Corey a kick return. House. So you expect yep. them to on a guy who on ten of eleven kickoff attempts on average 
kicks it for a touchback, you expect FSU to have a return for it. They're going to challenge them, Chris. They're going to be licking their chops. This is why Vegas builds really nice buildings because of people like you. I'm going to be like, oh, oh, you're, yeah, yeah, because of me. I nailed last week. I was off by three points total. I got the the game spread correctly. I had 30 to 28. It was 33 to 30. So Vegas, you, everyone can suck it. What's your prediction for the score? 45-24 North Carolina. Mm, okay. So you think, I mean, allowing only 35 points to them would be kind of impressive, I think, given uh, I, given I what UNC does well. Oh, 45? Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I said 45-24, spread of 21 points. Uh, okay. Well, you have, um, you have a big old blowout then. My bad. Yeah. Yeah, so you think that uh, that they're going to be able to air the ball around, and, and that is a big source of anxiety for me is whether this secondary can come to play or not. They're going to be tested early, often, and it hasn't been a good formula for FSU so far this season. Yeah, I, I also think to some degree North Carolina put it, and I know Duke's not very good, but I think North Carolina put some things together last week that they had been struggling with in the opening portion of their season schedule in the sense of things they're trying to consistently do that they look better doing. Um, pass rush, for example, is one of those things. They ran the ball a little bit more consistently and effectively in setting up what they were trying to do offensively. I think their offense as a whole is, well, Downs is such a huge piece of that passing puzzle. I think some of the other guys are figuring out that they need to emerge within their roles in doing so. So I just think to some degree it's coming together for North Carolina. Also, I think there is a revenge factor in this one for them to some degree where they will come out hot and heavy and ready to play and try to jump on FSU. And North Carolina traditionally under Mac is a phenomenal fourth quarter team. I think they led the country last year, in fact, in scoring in the fourth quarter. Certainly FSU was part of that because they did storm back to a degree in that second half against FSU. Um, so, yeah, I just I think they jump on FSU kind of early. FSU is obviously not very well built to play from a deficit because of what they can and cannot do offensively. And I just think it's one of those Saturdays where the smoke and mirrors, it, it doesn't work for FSU. That FSU, Every point FSU scores on Saturday, I think, is going to be more of a grind than even normal. I think UNC capitalizes on having a lot of offensive possession. I'm in a similar boat as you, Chris. I don't think FSU will lose by three scores. I think they will cover. Uh, I, I'm surprised the spread was quite that much when Vegas put it out. Put it out. I was thinking 14 points, just kind of to maybe 10 to 14. I thought it'd be on that side of of double digits, not you know closer to 18, uh, 17, 18 points. But I, I still I, I don't feel just because I, I think I would take uh, FSU getting points. I still don't think FSU is going to be ultra competitive in this game. Uh, simply because what UNC's greatest strength is, is is your greatest weakness on that side when you're on defense. And to me, that's that's a toughie. And then the, the lack of continuity on offense is something that I, I just don't feel great about right now. So I do trust FSU can scheme its way up to a couple points, you know, a couple scoring uh, drives and put up enough points to, to at least kind of have sub competitiveness early in the game. But I, mean, I think that falls apart later on. Like you said, I, I think that, might be an issue for FSU is hanging on and going blow to blow, score to score with UNC. Maybe if it's a slot fest and if it's raining a ton, that plays in FSU's hand because you can stop the run well and running the ball is the one thing you do do well on offense. But for right now, it's tough. It's tough for me to really envision a way FSU consistently uh, scores to hang with UNC and then consistently stops UNC. Anything short of a lot of turnover luck and, and special teams luck, which maybe they're due. Maybe they do house one for a touchdown in, in reality. So I have UNC winning 38 to 24. 
and this isn't a deal where I rip off a shirt and show you guys my tank top. I, I think the tank top, the good luck of the tank top comes in, comes to an end this, this week. Sad. And then FSU gets their much needed bye week. They really are a team that seems like they can use a bye week right now. Yeah. They need a bye week, one, to get healthy. There's a lot of people banged up, have been all year, especially on offense, um, especially in the trenches and at the quarterback position, just two spots where they've had a great deal of trouble getting healthy at any given time. And then defensively, I think they need it for some of those young guys to have that week of practice where you are – it's basically rehashing the preseason idea of you're trying to get better as yourselves instead of getting better while preparing for an opponent. Plus right. the opponent's UMass, not to downplay any opponent after watching FSU lose to Jacksonville State, but it does kind of afford them the opportunity of having almost a two-week camp before their next game. Mm-hmm. And then that's a chance to build a little bit of positive momentum against UMass, if, if you can, if you got your stuff together, which I think FSU has gotten its stuff together in terms of, of knowing what they can and can't do, um, especially on offense. We'll see defense. You know, they come out and they play well against UNC, and th- that would be super encouraging if they clean up some of the issues against Syracuse, but we'll see. Very much so uh, entering this week and then going to the bye week, kind of still very skeptical on on just them having pieced things together uh, on, on defense. So we'll see. This has been a fun, informative, and uh, very enlightening podcast, Christopher. Thank you for joining me. Sure thing. Thanks for doing it a day early so I can hop on a plane tomorrow. Safe travels, enjoy pumpkin patches, and then a bunch of rain. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I will. For Chris D, I've read it sit has been on the bench. Talk to you guys later. here if i had it my way it would stay winter all year long short days wind chill black ice and a good polar vortex oh <laughs> heaven wait is it getting warm in here your cold snap is over old man winter spring has arrived spring spring is here which means it's the perfect time to get away in the hyundai you've always wanted visit the hyundai getaway sales event where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning hyundai models like the tech-filled tucson and kona as well as the spacious palisade enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with america's best warranty and three years or thirty-six thousand miles of complimentary maintenance but hurry in these deals won't last add more joy to your journey at the hyundai getaway sales event now get zero percent apr or up to fifteen hundred bonus cash on the hyundai tucson now during the hyundai getaway sales event offers end soon call 562-314-4603 for details 